Okay, here we go. 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7, if you would, grab your copy of the scriptures. If you use an electronic device, uh, it's pretty simple. Just um, grab your browser and put in uh, 2 Samuel 7. And then I read from the um, New International Version. There's a lot of different versions and very good versions of the Bible to read from. So if you put in 2 Samuel 7, then after that, just type in NIV, and your wording will look the same as mine this morning as we read together. So we see David doing something different today than what we have seen him throughout the entire study so far. So we've seen him kill a giant. We've seen him take on the Amalekites. We've seen him running from Saul's army and running and hiding for his life. We've seen him lead the army of Judah. Last week we saw him bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem But there's one thing that we have yet to see David do. And he's going to do it this week in 2 Samuel 7. And here's what it is. We have yet to see him rest. We've yet to see him rest. Some of you are sitting here right now saying, man, rest? That sounds really good. How How many rest? Does that sound good today? Okay, do not do it in the next 30 minutes, okay? That is not what this time is for. That's what this afternoon is for. Rest. And we're going to see that with David right now. 2 Samuel 7. Look at what the text says. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you too. Chapter 7, 2 Samuel 7, 1 to 3. It says, after the king, what a neat word, was settled. Was settled. I tell you, we've been here almost five years We still have some boxes we have not unpacked. Are you like that, you know? Yeah, okay. But after the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him, would you say that next word with me? Rest. Say it again. Doesn't that sound good? The Lord gave him rest. From all his enemies around him. And David said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. And Nathan replied to the king, Hey, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it. The Lord's with you. Father, um, you were with David then. You are with us now, and we ask for your presence and your encouragement uh, over these next moments as we open up your word and understand it together. You have something in this for every one of us, and so if you would, please shield us from distractions that are outside of us. God, please shield us from what may be going on that would hold us back from hearing your voice and your word for us right now. So we commit these times, these moments, into your hands. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the text mentions David was settled in the palace and God gave him rest from all of his enemies, and that's really significant because since from the time we met him, David was basically battling. He was just always 
a warrior. He's a warrior at heart, and he was in some kind of a battle, and he was anything but settled is the reality. Anything but settled. And it's important to know that the Lord is who gave him rest from his enemies around him. And, it's, and that is a significant thing. True rest, true peace only comes from the Lord. Now, just a slight time out, because I know that we all look at the news and we all see what's going on on our globe around us and we see war and we see rumors of wars and we hear all kinds of unrest in our world. And so just to put it out there, I know we hear hopes of peace. Would they sign a treaty? Would there be some kind of accord? Would there be a ceasefire? And, and we all hope for positive things like that. I, I'm just here to express it. True peace ultimately in the end is only going to come from Jesus Christ. I know that that may sound trite, but that's the reality, and we see that biblically. Anything right now is going to be temporary. In fact, one person has said, peace is the brief, glorious moment in history where everybody stands around reloading. And it seems like that's always the case. But here's the one moment. Where God told David, man, you've been battling it your whole life. I'm going to put you at rest with everyone around you. And David was experiencing it. Now, like some of you, on vacation, you can't rest. You would love to sleep in like your children do until the crack of noon. And at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m., boom, you are up, your mind is going, you can't do nothing, you've got to do something. Can you identify with that? And so here's David in his palace, and he's at rest, and he looks and he says, you know what, here I am at rest, and his mind is already thinking, I'm in a palace, I'm in this great palace made of cedar, and here's this Ark of the Covenant that I just brought back that represents the presence of God. And it's in a tent. And I need to do something about that. And so here's the first mention of Nathan the prophet. And so he pulls in Nathan. And he says, Nathan, this is what's in my heart. This is what I'm thinking. I'm in this, I'm living palatially. And the presence of God is living in this temporary place with canvas over it. And Nathan just says, you know what, I, I know the Lord is with you. Whatever's in your heart, go for it. This is the time to do that. And, and, and this is, this is what, what Nathan tells him. But notice what happens. Right after this very experience, Nathan goes back and hears from the Lord. So I just need to work through this, and then we're going to understand what God has for us here this morning. So later that night, after Nathan told David, you go for it, something is in your heart. And, and I'll tell you what David was thinking. David is saying, I want to build a temple. I want to build a permanent temple structure for God, for, for the Ark of the Covenant, for all of the articles of worship. I want to do something significant. I'm in this palatial area. I want God to be in something magnificent. 
And that's what's in my heart, and I'm going to build him a temple. So then Nathan goes back home, and look, look what God ends up saying. So God meets with Nathan, and here's what God said to him in verse 5 of chapter 7. So God says, go and tell my servant David. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? So I know that's in a question form. What's God saying here? Well, I'm going to give you a parallel passage in 1 Chronicles 17. So here's exactly what God was saying. Parallel passage, 1 Chronicles 17, verses 3 and 4. Look at this. This is what God says. But that night the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build me a house to dwell in. Isn't that interesting? So it's in David's heart, God, I want to build you a temple. This is my dream. This is what I believe you deserve. Nathan says, go ahead, whatever in your heart, do it. Nathan goes home and God says, you know what? It's not going to be David. You need to go back and tell him no. Probably knowing David, he's already got an idea in his mind. He's already got a concept. He may have already talked to a couple people about it. He may already be thinking about how big it's going to be or how big the work crews need to be or how much material, what the building will look like. And now Nathan's going to come back to him and say, you know what? God has pulled the plug on you, not on the project, but on you. You're not going to be the one to do this thing. Let me just ask you, before we go any farther than this, have you ever had something? Have you ever had something that you wanted to do? And you felt it was the right thing? And your motivation was right? And then it ended up that that you didn't end up doing it? Now, um... I can, I can tell you, I went to Bible camp when I was a kid. And at the end of camp, on Friday night, there was a big fire. You ever experience this, a big fire? And they said, you know what, we're all going to make decisions for God right here. You do this? Okay. You're going to make decisions for God, and you're going to get a stick. And you're going to go up to that fire and you're going to throw the stick in the fire when you make this decision. And just like you can't go back and take that stick back, you can't take back your commitment that you made for the Lord. Okay? So let's, let's just get real for a second. How many of you have ever done that kind of thing? You ever do that? Bible camp? Okay. I see if, yes, I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. Yeah, so I did that. And I said, God, I will never be a pastor. I went, no, just kidding. I didn't say that. <laughs> I went up there. I threw the stick in. And I'm telling you, there were dozens of kids that went up there. I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to be a Christian school teacher. They threw, they threw them all in there. Hearts in the right place. Good intentions. And I'd wonder, going back over that, like how many people are doing those things right now? God gives David a tough word through Nathan 
in verses 5 through 17, you know what? It's not going to be you. You're thinking the right thing. You're thinking a temple. You're thinking a place for me. But you know what? You're not going to be the one to build it. I'm I'm sorry to tell you that. You're not going to be the one to do it. It's going to be your son. It's going to be your son Solomon. And so God teaches us three things. Three things when God says no, and I need to work through these things with you, it's unique in this text. I think some very special lessons. We need to look at them together. When God says no. Here's a few things for us. Number one, when God says no, he has a better way. When God says no, he has a better way way and he expects me to support it he has a better way and he expects me to support it so let's let's talk about this here for a moment so so nathan comes back and and tells david everything that the lord had said now oftentimes when god says no In our circles, if someone doesn't end up doing something or being something or accomplishing something or they set a goal and it doesn't come to be, oftentimes in our circles, we end up saying things or thinking things like, you know what, must have been their motivation was wrong. Or maybe their heart wasn't right. Or you know what, here's the biggie. They must have had sin in their life. Huh? That's what it was. And much of American church culture is driven towards judgment and guilt. You know, God knew you couldn't handle it. God knew you couldn't handle it. You must have had pride in your heart. Let me show you a passage that showed exactly where David's heart was. It was in 2 Chronicles 6, 7 and 9. This is Solomon looking back at David... And here's here's what he said. So look at this right here. Solomon says, you know, my father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord. And notice this. You did well to have it in your heart to build a temple for my name. This is what the Lord said to, to David. Nevertheless, you're not the one to build the temple, but your son, your own flesh and blood, He is the one who will build the temple for my name. Isn't that something? Not sin. It's not that his heart wasn't in the right place. It's not that he had a wrong motivation. It's not that he couldn't handle it. So sometimes when God says no, when God says no, it's not because of sin when God says no there may not be sin involved but here I want to tell you when God says no it's not necessarily discipline or rejection Chuck Swindoll says it's not necessarily discipline or rejection it may simply be redirection redirection here's the deal There may not be sin involved. There's always sovereignty involved. Always sovereignty involved. 
When I was growing up, I mentioned this to you last week, the church I grew up in was a double-wide trailer, and they took out all the interior partitions, and that's what we worshiped in. And then after a while, after a number of years, we ended up actually building a separate facility. And there was a guy in my growing up church, his name was Bob, and we called him Mr. Bob. He was in his 30s, he went to Bible college, and he had some dreams. Um, He dreamt of getting married. The only problem is no other women were dreaming the same dream that he had. He had a dream of being a preacher. And it wasn't happening. And, uh, and so I, I remember Mr. Bob going to our pastor. And he just, he just put it out there. He said, hey, where, where can I serve? What can I do? And Mr. Bob ended up being our junior church leader. That's what it was back when I was a kid. And so he led, he led church time for kids, K through six. And so he was the identity for our church for kids. And he, he for a while was my pastor. And then when I got into my teen years, Mr. Bob took me under his wing and I helped him lead junior church. And then not only me, but I remember there was another girl that was in junior church right along with us, and then she helped, and and she's on the mission field right now. And I know of another gal who who did the very same thing, and she helped, and and she's in ministry uh, with her husband as pastor and wife. And, and, And you know, when I look back at this, I'm like, here, Bob's dream didn't end up being what he thought it would be. And when God says no, it's not necessarily sin, but it is always sovereignty in how he wants to use things. How I put it, and it may not be the best phraseology, everything may not be linked to sin, but everything is linked to sovereignty. Everything is linked to sovereignty. So here's what I want to say to us here this morning. It's okay for God to say no. It's okay. It's okay for God to say, you know what, I'm going to use someone else. That's okay. It's okay for God to say, you know what, I want to do this a little bit differently. It's okay. Because here's why. There's two reasons. Number one, because he's God. And number two, because it's his temple. Like God can do what he wants. He's God, it's his temple, and so he has a better way and he expects us to support it. Here's number two. I'm gonna move through this. I gotta move through this. So here we go. It's a better way he expects me to support it. Number two, realize he blesses in other ways. I love this about this next section here in the text. He blesses in other ways. I need to show you, although he didn't use David to build the temple, I want to show you he did make promises to him. And verse 9, can I show you these here? Look at verse 9 really quick. 
He mentioned to David, I've been with you wherever you've gone. I've cut off all your enemies from before you. He made a personal promise to him. He said, David, I'm going to make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. Okay, we've all heard the name David, right? King David. Let me just tell you, if you open up every history book in the world, you're going to see the name King David of Israel. There are paintings of King David, the best prized paintings in the world. They're the best sculptures, the most famous sculptures in all of history, King David. And in fact, um, books, books and books written about King David, and then who would have ever thought, thousands of years later, here we are at East Bay Calvary Church, and we're doing a message series on how God used a man named King David. God has kept his personal promises to David. Number two, there were national promises in verse 10. I'm going to provide a place for my people Israel. God is making promises nationally to Israel. God was saying there would be a permanent people, Israel, and they would have permanent land. Here's the crazy thing, friends. Israel is the size of New Jersey. You realize that? This is not a huge chunk of land. And here they are, millennia later, and they still are a nation, and God is watching over them. It's only proof positive. God is keeping his promises. So God made personal promises. God made national promises. God made family promises. If you look down at verse 13, God said, you know what? I know you're not building my temple, but here's what I'm going to do for you. You're going to have a son. He's the one that will build a house for my name. And you all know who that son's name is? Who's going to build the temple? Solomon. Solomon's going to build the temple. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God says, he's going to be like a son to me. He's going to blow it, but I'm going to come alongside of him and I'm going to love on him. So God is going to bless David's lineage, Solomon. Solomon's going to build the temple. So there's family promises. And then there's even global promises. And this is a thing, friends, that impacts all of us. Because he mentions down in verse 16, your house, David, your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So here's the big deal. Not only personally, nationally, family, but he says, you know what? Forever your throne will be established. And here's what it is. Jesus Christ would come through the line of David, and the Bible says he's going to sit on the throne of David and rule and reign over the entire earth. Now that's the next time that peace truly comes to this globe. And so God says, you know, I'm going to set up this whole thing forever. David, your throne will last forever. And it is because Jesus is going to sit on that throne. And he's going to rule. So God says, you know what? I may not be doing it your way, David. I know you thought you were going to build a temple. But I'm still going to bless you. It may come through other means. And God reiterates something special. He's God, and it's his temple. And here's the third thing, and I love this. This is what I want to finish up with. 
my very best reaction my very best reaction is cooperation and humility cooperation and humility this is an interesting finish how do we reply how do we respond when our dream changes when god tells us no when god's going to use someone else when our best intentions end up in a dead-end street for us how do we finish how do we reply so you know david's not going to get the credit for building the temple what was born in his heart is going to be fulfilled by another and in fact another who was not as well qualified another who was inexperienced another who was younger how would david respond once again back to first chronicles 22 i want to show you this up on the screen first chronicles 22 2 through 5 so here's the whole account solomon is born solomon's young it's Solomon who's going to do the temple. And this is what is in David's heart. Even though David's not going to be the one to build, notice what David does. So David gave orders to assemble the foreigners residing in Israel. And from among them, he appointed stone cutters to prepare dressed stone for building the house of God. He provided a large amount of irons to make nails for the doors of the gateways and for the fittings and uh, more bronze than could be weighed. He also provided more cedar logs than could be counted. For the Sidonians and the Tyrians had brought large numbers of them to David. And David said, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced. And the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. Now, I don't know if this does anything for you. I absolutely love this. This, to me, is so exciting because this is, I believe, the best reaction and response that we could ever give to God whenever he changes our plans. Because what David does, there's no rebuttal. But God, why not me? Why not me build the temple? Why not me be the one like, this is in my heart, not someone else's. And the text mentions that David went in and he sat before the Lord. Number one, he just praised God. That's what the whole rest of the passage is. All the way down to verse 29. He praised God for his promises and for what he did. And then we know from history and from 1 Chronicles 22, what David did is he got on board. And he said, you know what? I'm all in. And it's not about me. The temple isn't about me. The temple's about God. The temple's not about Solomon. The temple's about God. Remember, he's God and it's his temple. And I'm going to get on board. And I'm going to help Solomon succeed in doing what he's going to do. 
And that's exactly what he did. This is the spirit that is at the heart of kingdom growth. God is God and it's his temple. It's not about me. It's about ultimately what he wants. And imagine what God can do through his church. If all had this same mentality and heart. I could invest in someone else. It may not be me. I I know my heart. I know my intention. But you know, if God's doing this, count me in. Sign me up. I'm going to pull together resources to make it happen. Because he's God and it's his temple. And this thing needs to advance. Remind me of a story I read this week. His name was Dr. Richard Sume, he pastored at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Richard, uh, Richmond, Virginia. So, um, Dr. Sume, he, this guy was blessed. He could speak. He wrote books. He was a member of numerous uh, boards and committees. He was sought after, and when he left Richmond, Virginia, at that church he was pastoring for many years, Maybe this would sound more familiar to some. He became pastor of Wheaton Bible Church. Big big name church. And that was obviously in our terminology, this was a major step up. That was a big quantum leap. He had dreams. When you step into something like that, you have dreams, you have aspirations, you have these ideals. I know where this is going to go. Like, God's going to use me in a big way at Wheaton Bible Church. And he wasn't there long. And he was stricken with a rare kidney disease, which meant he was on dialysis six hours a day, three to four days a week. And life changed instantly. So here's Dr. Sume, and he's at the zenith of his career. He had all of these thoughts and aspirations at Wheaton Bible Church. And the rug was cut out from underneath him, and he couldn't take the rigors of the pastor any longer. And as a result, you know, some people misunderstood. You could imagine in the American Christian church, some people judged him. And criticized, but he left. He left almost a broken person, physically, emotionally, personally. And what he would do now, hmm, now that his dream had gone, what, what, what would he do? So he accepted an invitation to go to the seminary where he graduated to be a chaplain. This is what he did. Dr. Walverd called him and said, would you come uh, come to Dallas and, and be a chaplain for young pastors who were studying for the ministry? So here he was in this big position with all of his dreams out in front of him. And God pulled the rug out from underneath him in that way. 
And so he goes for really what would be pretty much an unknown spot. I'm going to chaplain young pastors who are studying for ministry. Now, I need to read for you what one person wrote about Dr. Sume. He passed away not too many years after this. Listen to this. This man whose dreams for his own life had been shattered chose to invest his last years in the lives of younger men. Interesting. The Solomons of the future. To build the temples he would never see built. He embraced God's alternate plan with all of his might. Empty-handed and dependent on his God, he invested himself in hundreds of younger ministers who are now engaged in fulfilling some of the dreams he once hoped to accomplish. Isn't that something? I want to submit to you right now this morning, Dr. Sume learned something that David learned that I think God wants us to remember today. He's God. It's his temple. He's God. It's his temple. And we fit wherever he wants us to fit, to build it. And whether we're bricklayers or steeple setters, it doesn't matter what our dream is. Because he's God and it's his temple. We get with what he's doing. So God fulfilled his word in David. God fulfilled his word in Solomon. God did fulfill his word in his temple. God fulfilled his word in Israel. God fulfilled his word in Jesus Christ. God fulfilled his word in building his church. And God's going to fulfill his word in Christ coming and sitting on David's throne. And it's all in his time and in his way because he's God and it's his temple. And so I want to finish with these things. He did all of this, number one, so we'd have Jesus. Do you have Jesus? Do you realize he is the only rescuer and redeemer of the world? Do you realize we are flat-out sinners incapable of personal recovery and that he died on the cross to bear God's punishment for our sin? That's ultimately why all this story happened. We need Jesus from start to finish. And I invite you, embrace that. Realize Jesus is your rescuer. He is your forgiver. He is your leader. And maybe even talk to him today and say, God, I know that. I know I am lost without Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need to be forgiven eternally and I believe Jesus died for me I know he bore God's punishment for me forgive me 
Start at Jesus. And here's number two. And I want to finish with this. The lesson of David today, it's not about us. It's not about us. Let me rephrase that. It's not about us. He's God. It's his temple. Amen? He's God. It's his temple. It's all about him. And maybe some of us sitting here need to say, you know what? Yeah. I've made it about me. I have made it about me. I've thought it's my temple. I thought it's my dream. It's about him. Would you stand with me? Are there some prayer thoughts you need to have in your mind? Do you need to trust and believe in the whole reason for the account of David, Jesus, who would sit on the throne? Or are you at the point today where you're saying, you know what, yeah, it is about God. It is about his temple. It's not about me. It's not about my dream. As good of intention as it may be. God, get me behind what you're behind. Father, thank you for this lesson. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for being God and rearranging things just the way you want them. Thank you for being sovereign and not tied to our plans. But doing what's best for making the calls because you're God. For doing what's best because it's your temple. And God, forgive us for when we think it's ours. For when our dream needs to be fulfilled. God, do what you want to do in our lives, in in your temple, and for your kingdom, and through your Son, Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever and ever. Because that's what it's all about. And in his name we pray. Amen? We pray in his name, amen.